Holy smokes, check out how many kids. <laughs> we, we love having our, our students in worship here at Bridge. It's, uh, it's just such a glimpse of what the kingdom is, right? Sometimes uh, at church we sometimes forget that there's kids things going on and we start to maybe think that the, the kids are just waiting to grow up so they can be part of the church. But that is intentionally not something that we do here. Those kids are, are gifted and called to be part of the church right here and right now. We are so thankful for them and we're so thankful to give them opportunities to serve our, our church body. Hey, before we get started, uh, we always thank our, our awesome worship uh, team. And I, I just wanted to say a, a special thanks to a good friend of mine in, in the back. His name is uh, Deegan. Deegan, can you raise your hand for everyone? <laughs> you know, there are... There are people who come early, they, they work hard, they, they focus on making sure that a service like this is a, a beautiful thing, and they don't ask for much credit, so it's, it's kind of a great thing just to honor them. So if you get a chance, you should definitely talk to Deegan, he's a, he's a great guy, and, uh, and not too many more months, he's going to be off to college. So thank you for what you do, Deegan. I heard he only charges $10 for 8x10 autographs, so you can buy one of those. Hey, well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. I see some new faces. My name is uh, Andy, and I'm a pastor here on staff at Bridge. And about once a month, I get to bring God's Word to you on a Sunday morning. I'm very excited, uh, except for I told uh, Barry in the lobby that Exodus 24 has a ton of blood, so much so that it's in buckets. So just fair warning, there's a lot of blood this morning. So we're going to be continuing in our sermon series called The Way Forward. We're just going chapter by chapter and chunk by chunk through the book of Exodus. And as we're reading this story, we're reading this ancient story of how a powerful creator God took his people out of this place called Egypt through the wilderness and then towards the promised land. And as God brings them forward, we begin to read principles and, and things into the scripture of how God might be bringing us through some difficult seasons and some difficult times. How many of you would say that that would be a good, healthy thing to have as a tool in your life? Okay, eight of you. That's great. Okay, so uh, this morning we're going to be in Exodus chapter 24, and i got to tell you before we get in, I gave you fair warning about the blood, but I want to tell you something else in all seriousness that I, I just feel like is God's word coming alive to me. On Wednesday nights, uh, shameless plug, about 40 of us meet right in here, and we have been studying the Gospel of Matthew verse by verse. I would uh, encourage anyone who has a Wednesday free to just come, come study Matthew with us. But one of the things that I've been seeing as we're doing these two books side by side, Matthew on Wednesdays and Exodus on Sundays, verse by verse, I'm beginning to see these connections that I never saw happen before. Uh, there's a very th famous theologian, his name is Karl Barth, and he said, Jesus is the golden thread throughout the Old Testament, that even though you can't quite see him, if you look close enough, you can see a thin golden thread everywhere you look. Another uh, author that I enjoy says, Jesus is like the bass note. You don't totally recognize it's there, but if you took it away, you would recognize something is, is really missing. And so this morning, my hope is that as we go through Exodus 24, that we're going to pause periodically, and we're going to flip our Bible to the New Testament and talk a bit about Jesus, if that would be okay with the Christians in the house. <laughs> is that a yes? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we're just going to jump right into it. You're going to see what I'm talking about. We're in Exodus chapter 24 this morning, and it starts like this in verse 1. Then he, being God, said to Moses. So all of the Israelites, they're camped around Mount Sinai. They're kind of awaiting instructions, and God calls to Moses, and this is what he says. Come up to the Lord, 
you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. So this is the, the picture that we need to begin to paint. We know that God has called Moses for a specific task and calling. He's led the people out of the promised land. And what's beginning to unfold now is kind of this spiritual pecking order. So while Moses has been like the, the leader of the, the military and he's led people out, God is now calling him to be kind of the spiritual father of these people as well. And so we begin to see this pecking order emerge where God says, Listen, the only one that I'm going to allow to be close to me is Moses. And he says, come on up and bring a couple people with you. He says, bring Aaron, your brother, and his sons, and the 70 elders. So the, the picture is that Moses is going to go up and meet with God on the mountain. And as they're on their way up, uh, Moses is allowed to bring Aaron and his sons, along with the 70 elders, as he goes up. But they're going to reach a point where those people are not welcome in the presence of God. Now, as we're uh, getting close to approaching Easter, how many of you are excited about Easter, by the way? Yeah. Easter, you know what? I think sometimes we get stuck in this trap of, like, believing the culture that Christmas is, like, the greatest thing ever. And Christmas is phenomenal, don't get me wrong. But without Easter, none of this exists. So Easter is is the Super Bowl on steroids, if you will. And as I've been thinking about Easter, I've been thinking intentionally, how do you prepare your heart to come into a Sunday worship setting, like an Easter Sunday, and likely hear a story that I've heard many times, but have it be as powerful as God wants it to be? And I was thinking about that this week, and I was reading this idea of Moses going up on the mountain, and it, it dawned on me. That under the old covenant, only Moses is allowed to be in the presence of God, and only Moses is the one that will hear the words of God and give them to the people. He is the mediator between God and the people. In the New Testament, Paul writes to a young man, a young leader named Timothy, and this is what he says. He says, under the new covenant, under the blood of Jesus, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. If you don't leave with anything else this morning, this is what I want you to hear. We're going to read about sacrifices. We're going to learn about blood. We're going to learn about the sacrificial system of Israel. But if we don't read that and begin to think about, oh, Jesus is the final complete sacrifice. The one that makes it possible that we no longer need to go between, between us and God, but we can go directly to him. If, if we miss that, we're missing the whole point. The story of Exodus continues. Uh, buckle your seatbelt. If you've got a cough or do something, now's the time because we're going we're gonna to read a chunk. You know what I mean? I'm swallowing some of my spit to lubricate my throat. Here we go. <laughs> Moses came. You guys do it too. <laughs> I feel all self-conscious. I'm getting sweaty. <laughs> Moses came and told all the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. So this is the Ten Commandments. This is all the stuff that God has spoken that says this is how, how you're going to uh, create like a judicial process, uh, the laws and the order of how you're going to set your community up. And so Moses comes and he speaks all those things over the people. And all the people answered in one unified voice. And listen to what they say. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
That's where you're supposed to laugh if you know the story. And then Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 5. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Okay, if you're squeamish, this one's for you. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed a whole verse. And he sent the young men, they did the the, uh, offerings, uh, the sacrifices. And Moses took half of the blood and he put it in basins, like a, a bucket. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people. And he said, behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. This is a pivotal moment in these people's history. This is the moment where they have said, the covenant that God is making with us, we affirm it again, and we will follow all of the rules laid out for us. This is a lot to take in. I actually made myself a flow chart, so uh, let me consult the chart here, because I want to help us to get our arms around what just happened. The first thing that Moses does as the leader is he proclaims, he speaks out, this is all that God has said. Here are the Ten Commandments, here are all the laws, the covenant, and everything including in it. More than 600 laws. It's a lot of spoken word, would you agree? And as his captive audience is there, they listen to it, they hear it all, and what do they say? We will follow, we will obey. Now, how many of you know that taking people at their word can be sketchy business sometimes? Especially when you read out 600 commands and people say, yeah, yeah, I intend on following all of that. So Moses, being a great leader and understanding human nature as he does, I think he thinks, hmm, I'm going to write all of this down. So it says that he writes down all the rules, all the commandments, all, everything expected of these people. And then I want you to notice what he does. It says in verse 4, if we could put it on the screen. So he wrote down all the words of the Lord, and once it was in writing, he rose early in the morning, and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. If we want to read into something about phenomenal Christian leadership out of Moses this morning, here's a really good thing that you could write down. With no fanfare with no accolades, with no attention. This is what Moses does. He recognizes that the people have come to a very important part, a moment in their history. And he decides, instead of just taking them at their word, I'm going to write it down, but then this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wake up really early in the morning, and I'm going to set the table to worship God in this moment. You want to talk about great leadership? Here it is. It's that Moses, seeking no attention or nothing for himself, decides in this moment the best thing that we can do is come before the Lord and worship. And so he builds 12 uh, pillars representing the entirety of every tribe in Israel, that they could all come together unified under one voice, and then he builds an altar to sacrifice. This is Israel's way of worshiping the Lord. Then he sends the young men the people of Israel, and they offer two offerings. They offer a burnt offering, which is the the fire consumes every bit of that animal. It's saying to God that every single part of this animal belongs to you. 
And then they offer a, a peace offering, which is kind of gross, but also kind of cool at its core, like, like much of this is. Where the offering is offered as incense to God, and as it cooks, they take the offering off and they eat it as like a, a communion, that they're sharing this with the Lord. And then it gets hairy because Moses takes the blood. Now this is tough to hear, and it's tough to listen to, but it's just real. Because what they would do is they would cut the neck of an oxen, and blood would pour out. Many of you have read, or you might even have a version of your Bible that you're following along with this morning, that call this the lifeblood. Are you familiar with that term? The term lifeblood is this understanding that the blood that runs in the veins of humans and animals is the essence of what makes them living and unliving. And it's God and God, God alone who is worthy of being praised with the essence of what makes life possible. And so what Moses does is he collects the blood in a bucket, just what it says. He takes the bucket and he splashes it up on the altar. This sounds disgusting, does it not? And I think it's supposed to be, because I think it's supposed to be this very visual, this very vivid, visceral experience where people can smell it and see it. And when you smell and you see something like that, it's not something that you will forget. Would you agree? And so he splashes half of it onto the altar saying, God, the essence of life is for you and you alone to control. Our very existence we owe 100% only to you, and we recognize it now. In this sacrificial system, the offering of the oxen is understood as going in the place of broken and sinful people. This oxen hasn't done anything wrong that I'm aware of. Moses doesn't say he like flipped people off in traffic or talked back to his mom or anything like that. It's just a, a helpless oxen. And the system is set up where the, when the oxen is sacrificed, God is saying, I am making a way. Now, now, this is difficult for people to hear, and this is hard for us to wrap our minds around. But sometimes we come to a moment, or we come to a chunk of the scripture in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and we say, I have no idea why that makes sense. That's weird, it's strange, I don't get it. Anyone ever had that experience before? Now there's a couple things we can do. We can immediately begin to try to interpret it or, or attack it in a way that makes sense to us. Or we can say, you know what, I don't get it, but it's God's word and I'm going to accept it as I also try to make more sense of it. So here is a theological principle that the Bible affirms over and over and over and sometimes it's hard to swallow. It's the principle that there can be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. I don't know why. I don't know why God made it that way. But that is how it is. And the system is set up in a way that basically would say this, that unless you're willing to shed your own blood for your own sins, God has made a, a phenomenal gift for you that you can place an animal in your stead. And so he does this. He offers these oxen to the Lord. Then it says in verse 7, I think it's a great leadership move. Moses says, you know what? I want to read to you what you're agreeing to before we sign off on this covenant one more time. I, I want you to hear it in its fullness. And so it says in verse 7 that he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. So he takes the whole thing and he rereads it. 
Now there is a difference between somebody standing before you and just verbally telling you what's expected of you and you saying, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, versus it is written right here. I have it in writing. There will not be any interpretation or, hey, your tone didn't match what I thought you were saying back there. It will just be, this is what it says and this is what you're agreeing to. Are you following? This is him bringing kind of like a lawyer or a, a legal system into place that says, this is set in stone, there's no getting out of it. This is what you're agreeing to. Do you agree to it? And they say, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood, the other half of the blood, and he threw it on the people. And he said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. Now there's no fancy way to say it. There's people standing before him. They've worshipped the Lord through sacrifice. And I want you just to imagine that you're sitting there and all of a sudden Moses, I don't know if he like dips like a giant brush or what, but he just starts flinging ox blood. Some pretty high dry cleaner bills coming in that part of Israel. <laughs> But as it hits you, it's not just the blood. It hits you that this is real. This is visceral. This is engaging every sense that you have. And it's, it's gross and it's not something that you're going to forget. And this is the moment where Moses says, as the blood hits you and the blood has already hit the altar, you are now agreeing to this covenant with God forevermore. This is a very important moment in Israel's history. I want to point out a couple things, because we are in chapter 24, and if you know Exodus, you know that for the next eight chapters, Moses is going to be up on the mountain talking to God for eight chapters. He's going to be gone for 40 days and 40 nights. We're going to read that in a second. And while he's up there, all of these people who are saying, we will obey everything that the Lord says, guess what they're doing? Shout it out if you know. Not obeying, what are they doing? They are worshiping a, a golden calf. 40 days later. If this is not the fickle nature of humans that say, you know what, my intent is to serve the Lord, but then when it becomes difficult to jump at the first opportunity to do something else. Now, we pause often on Wednesday nights and we point this out. We could say when we get there that, oh, those stupid Israelites, they just never get it. But there's a reason the Bible wants to point out over and over and over that they don't get it. And I think it's because the Bible doesn't want us to get away with thinking that we're better than them and we would have gotten it. I think what the Bible wants us to see is that even though there are consequences and even though there is disobedience, that God continues to intervene. God continues to make a way. God continues to say, I am for you even in your disobedience and there is a way for you to come back into relationship with me. We're going to continue for the sake of time in verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. By the way, I have no idea if it's Abihu. No clue. I think the key is just to say it with conviction like you know what you're talking about. And they saw the God of Israel in verse 10. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and they drank. That interesting. Now i got to tell you that I, I had no idea this wasn't like in my, my wheelhouse until this week, but I read this and I, my first response was this. It says in verse 10 that they saw the God of Israel. And I immediately said, well, wait a second, I've never heard that verse before. 
Now there is all kinds of debate raging, and some of you might know the Bible says over and over and over that nobody looks upon the presence of God, especially in the Old Testament, without dying. Are you familiar with that? And so what I'm about to offer you is just maybe a, a thought. Uh, I don't want you to take it to the bank and say that's what this means. The real honest truth is you could read a hundred different commentators and experts and they're going to say, we don't know 100% what it means. But the idea is this, is it says that in verse 10, they saw the God of Israel, there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone. The idea is this, is perhaps what's going on is as they are at his feet which is a Jewish idiom that means to recognize the authority and the power and the wisdom of the one that is above you. So for instance, the disciples, it says, they learn at Jesus' feet. Are you familiar with what I'm saying? That doesn't mean that every time they're taught, they rush over and they sit at his feet. What it means is that sitting at someone's feet is to recognize they are so far beyond you, they have so much authority and power and wisdom over you that your rightful place is at their feet. That you are to be a hearer and a learner and an absorber of their wisdom. So my, my only kind of inkling about this passage is simply that, that they come to recognize in this moment how powerful this God truly is at his feet. There's something amazing here that I was thinking about just about an hour ago, actually. That they see pavement made of sapphire, or what looks like sapphire. Is that cool? It's like a glimpse into the heavenly realms. But if you were to go back in the book of Exodus and look at what these people were doing just a handful of months or years earlier, you'd recall that they were slaves in Egypt. And what were they making in Egypt? What were all those bricks for? Those bricks at the time were for paving the land of Egypt. They were trying to make huge roads of paved stone so that trade could happen. And they were building everything up with these bricks. These dirty, nasty bricks made out of mud and straw. And now just months or years later, they're now standing on what is paved on God's holy mountain. And it's not bricks. They now are, were the enslaved people of Egypt, and now they are standing on a mountain that is paved with sapphire stone. What a contrast. And they beheld God, and they ate, and they drank. I want to pause for a moment. Because as I've been reading Exodus, I've been learning a lot about Exodus. Have you guys been learning a lot about Exodus? There are some themes in Exodus. We've got to acknowledge that God can be scary to these people. Would you agree? That when God shows up, sometimes it's thunder and lightning and fire, and, and people are beginning to have this fear of the Lord, a righteous fear of the Lord. In Exodus, again and again, it points out the power and the authority and the miraculous uh, works of God over and over and over. But if we're not careful, we'll miss these little seeds of truth. You see, God's character never changes. And what they just did is in the presence of God, they stopped and they had a picnic. Did you see that? It's, um, what verse is that? I think I flipped the page. Oh, it's verse 11. In the presence of God, they stop and they have a picnic. They eat and they drink. This is what I think is for us. The, the powerful, almighty God of the entire universe also wants his presence to bring us together in communion to just eat a meal. And what happens when you eat a meal? You have conversation. 
You get to know one another. You get to process this shared experience where you're sitting on a mountain made out of sapphire that God has called you up to. This is crazy, right? And you get to have this bonding moment together in the presence of God. And sometimes if we just go all in and we just think about God's power and authority, we forget that the God of the universe wants to come into relationship with us, so much so that he just wants us to take a deep breath and eat a meal together. Isn't that cool? The story goes on in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua. If you have a Bible and you like writing in it, you should definitely underline Joshua. And Moses went up on into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. So Moses is back up on this mountain. And he takes this character that if we just opened the Bible and we knew nothing of the entire word, all we knew was this is a book I've never read before and we started at Genesis and we started reading, this is what we would know about Joshua. That Moses entrusted him to lead a military unit once. That's it. What we know is that Joshua will will be the successor to Moses. He will be the next strong leader of the Israelites. But in the meantime, he is Moses' assistant. Now I want to remind you of this timeline for a second. I was talking to some guys before church and this really struck me. Because our culture loves to celebrate the young superstar, you know what I mean? You know, I I was made aware as I was studying this week, I was just typing into Google, following random links, and I realized there's this thing, it's called the 30 under 30. Have you guys ever heard of this? It's Forbes' 30 most influential people under 30 years old. There are billionaires on that list. There are people who started Fortune 500 companies on that list, and we love to celebrate these people. But there's this concept, and you know, a handful of months ago I was listening to this podcast about leadership and how it can go wrong. And at the beginning credits of this podcast, the narrator kept saying, sometimes what happens is a platform is too big for the character of the person standing on it. That the character of the person needs to grow, it needs time to mature before it can stand on a platform and have influence over thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. And so I want to point this out about Joshua. Joshua is not Moses' apprentice for weeks or months or even years. He is his apprentice for decades before God deems him worthy to lead God's people. If you're a young person and you're thinking, man, I just want to move up, I just want to get going, I want to start my life, I want to fast track it, I want to tell you that I think the Bible would say this to you. Those things in some way will take care of themselves by God's grace, but what you can do in the meantime is submit yourself to the discipline of allowing God to shape your character so that when a platform does arise, you are ready to stand on it. And so Joshua submits himself to this title, assistant. One last thing I want to point out about Joshua is this. Because Joshua is Moses' assistant, they go up to the mountain, and Moses is called up into the mountain, it says, and Joshua kind of goes with him. And we're going to find out that Joshua doesn't get to go into the presence of God, but he waits for Moses. 
while the others go back down the mountain. And remember what happens down at the bottom of that mountain. Moses says, hey, I'm going to put you in charge if there's disputes or grumbling or anything like that. People will go to you. You'll make a great decision, right? While they go down and they begin melting gold jewelry to become a golden calf to worship, the only two people that don't participate in that are Joshua and Moses. What kind of lesson do you think Joshua learns in that moment? He learns, I'm standing on the in-between. I could have been with them. But because I was with Moses, I've learned to wait, to be quiet before the Lord. And so from chapter 24 to 32 that's coming, it's just this long-form conversation of God dictating to Moses what he would like to happen. Verse 15. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. This cloud in the Old Testament is this imagery of kind of this mystery. It's kind of like you're standing in the fog and you can't see too far in front of your face. And so Moses goes up into the foggy cloud. And the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud, and he went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now we don't have time, but if you like Bible assignments and you like homework, you should definitely look into this number 40. It's a great number. It appears multiple times. Jesus, Noah, it happens 40 years in the desert. Just go online, uh, like a resource like Bible Gateway if you're interested, and, and just type in the number 40 and see what comes up. I think, I think God would show you some really cool things there. So let's talk a little bit about this. Moses has been listening to God's voice. He's been leading the people. He's brought them to the base of Mount Sinai, and it's this pivotal, giant moment. They've had a sacrifice, and they've worshipped, and God says, come up to the mountain. How many of you are feeling like the adrenaline is, is just letting loose at this point? Something huge is about to happen, and Moses knows it, and he goes up on the mountain, and then he takes a deep breath and says, this is my moment, because no one else is allowed to go up with me. This is, this is just me, and I don't know what exactly I'm going to encounter. And so he stops, and this is what it says. Six days. He just waits. He just waits. How many of you have ever felt like God has been taking me? I've been from point A to point B and God is doing things and I'm hearing God's voice and I'm being led by Him and I'm being directed by Him and I know something huge is coming. How many of you have ever been in that moment? And then all of a sudden it's silence. And you're looking around and you're feeling like I'm standing in a foggy cloud and I can't even see what's right in front of my face, but I'm positive God led me here. In that moment, isn't there a temptation to begin to doubt or to recall, did I hear God correctly? Did God really bring me here? Do you see what Moses does? Props to Moses. I don't know if I would last six hours, to be honest with you. But he sits one day, two days. Three days, four, five, six. He just waits. I want to tell you that the waiting is part of the spiritual process that God brings us through. Sometimes God pushes the fast forward button, we just think things are happening, but in the waiting, 
We can wait in all sorts of different ways, can't we? Anybody a grumbling waiter? How many of you love those Disneyland lines? Just waiting, just waiting, right? Full disclosure, I'm going to Disneyland in like a week and I have dragged my feet on this for so long. I'm not a huge fan. I'm not, it's not that I'm not a fan of Disneyland. It's like I'm just not a fan of people in lines. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, there is lots of ways to wait, isn't there? There is the grumbling, complaining. There is the passive-aggressive, like... How long is this going to take, right? There's all sorts of waiting, but there's also the waiting of in the waiting, God can be shaping something in me. Maybe it's as simple as just patience to wait. Maybe it's a, you know what, I know God has brought me here, but I'm going to recall all the ways that God got me to this point while I wait for him to call me forward. Because there's a feeling of God brought me here. I've faithfully done this for you, God. I've run. I've jumped in faith, and now I'm just waiting. The last thing I'll say about the waiting is this. How many of you have been in a season of waiting and somebody, even a well-intentioned person, is looking in and saying, I don't know. Did God really bring you here? I would say in your season of waiting, here is a piece of biblical wisdom. Be very careful whose voice you allow to speak into your life in the midst of waiting. The second thing I want to point out about this chunk of the scripture is this. Did you notice that Moses' experience is much different than the perception of his experience. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. If we could put this back on the screen. This is verse 17. <clears throat> verse 17 says this, Now the appearance of the glory, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. You know their vantage point. They're camping down below at the base of the mountain and they're looking up. And they're assuming that Moses experiences this fiery, dangerous thing with God. You see that? All the while, Moses is sitting in the midst of the cloud waiting. There is a difference between your own personal experience and your walk of God and sometimes how people perceive it. I think how the people would be perceiving this is Moses is saying, I'm learning to wait. There is shaping for me in the waiting God has something for me in the waiting. He'll call me out. I have faith. All the while, the people down below are panicking that this isn't happening fast enough. I wonder if that fire burned him up. Look at how nasty and terrible and powerful God looks. Moses better be careful up there. All the while, he's experiencing the fog of not knowing what's next. Sometimes people's perception of our walk of faith is different than our experience. And my tidbit of biblical wisdom for you is in that season of life, be very careful whose voice you allow to speak into your life. Sometimes you're walking out in faith doesn't make sense to others, even sometimes with other Christians. I think it's important that we create brother and sisterhoods that are strong enough that we know who are those people for us. I want to um, jump forward, give us like a little taste of what's next. From chapter 25, I think, all the way to 32, there's this conversation where God begins to dictate to Moses. And I think it's really important to hear the first thing that God says to Moses. I think it sets the stage for all else. And if we miss it, we're going to miss what God has for us, I believe, in Exodus. So this is chapter 25. And we're going to kind of turn a corner and head for the finish line from here. The Lord said to Moses... Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. The first thing God speaks to Moses is this. 
From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you, you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, because you have that in your dresser drawer. And fine twined linen, goat's hair, of course, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. Onyx stones, of course, and stones for setting, for the ephod and uh, for the breastpiece. And let them make for me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all of its furniture, so you shall make it. How many of you are familiar with this tabernacle? Sort of, kind of. Buckle up, you're going to learn all about it in the next couple weeks. I think Easter will prove to be a a phenomenal kind of pause button for, for uh, for the tabernacle. But here's the deal. The first words out of God's mouth are this. Number one, I want to dwell in your midst. I want to live in your neighborhood. I want to be where you are. I don't want it to be where I just reside up on top of a mountain and only Moses comes up. I want to be right with everyday normal people. But because God is holy and perfect and and there is the, the the necessity for bloodshed for the remission of sins, there's also going to be a ton of parameters and instructions for how this is going to happen. But he says, that's what I want. That's my desire to be with you, to be in your midst, to live on your block, to be in your neighborhood with you. And not only that, this is this is my favorite part of this chunk. He says, I want the people to contribute to making it. I want them to contribute, not just you, Moses, not just the 70 elders or Aaron and his sons. I want everyday people, when you go and talk to them, this is what I want you to tell them, that however they feel led, this is from verse 2, from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive a contribution. How do you know? If your heart leads you to want to build this beautiful thing where God's presence will dwell, then you can contribute to it too. You can have ownership of it. You can have a piece of it that you contributed to allow God to live right in your midst. Is that awesome or what? I was thinking about this this week because I I think we need to talk a bit about Jesus as we wrap up. Some of this Old Testament law and some of the systems that are set up, they, they seem so foreign to us. Would you agree? In some ways, they're foreign because it's an ancient culture and ancient people, and we don't relate with that. But spiritually speaking, it's foreign to us because we live under the new covenant of Jesus. We don't live under the old covenant of the necessity to sacrifice animals. I don't have to reach over here and grab a bucket and throw blood on you. Thanks be to God. In the Gospel of John... John, with all the creative license he wants, he can open his gospel in any way he chooses. He could write anything he wants, and this is how he chooses to open up his gospel in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It's talking about Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you skip down a handful of verses, this is how John ends the chunk. And I I want you to hear this. And the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is where the new covenant begins. It begins with God ultimately doing exactly what he wanted to do in Exodus chapter 24, of moving into the neighborhood. And John says, that was Jesus. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. Now, if you're taking notes, this is incredible. The word dwelt is the same word as tabernacle. It's the word that Jesus tabernacled among his people. He came to move in. And it's because of his blood, because of his perfect and complete, his final atoning sacrifice, that by his blood we are made whole. We don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. Do you remember this whole piece where the people two times say, everything you've said, we will follow? You remember that? And then Moses says, okay, and when you mess up, we're going to have to offer sacrifices. You guys following? Jesus is the only one who can rightfully say, I will follow it all and I won't mess up. I will not sin. And he comes and he does it. He is the only one who actually doesn't need to make a sacrifice. And instead of making a sacrifice of an animal, he sacrifices himself. That his blood would be the final sacrifice. That you would live under one final sacrifice of the Son of Man coming. And on that day, Easter Sunday, when the tomb is empty, the new covenant is sealed that you don't have to live under what we've been reading about. That through the blood of Jesus, God sees you as righteous and holy before him. Not because you did anything, but because Jesus did everything. This is where I want to end this morning. These are Paul's words to a young church in Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians. And he's trying to tell them how to live their lives in a holy and pleasing way. And he chooses these words in chapter 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. The place that God wants to dwell is in your midst. He wants to dwell in you. He wants you to be the holy temple that he resides by his Holy Spirit. Is that incredible? So I, I have a couple questions that maybe you can write down and take with you as we wrap up. What contribution will you make to the temple that God resides in? What will you offer as part of the contribution? I don't think God is after gold and silver and onyx and hopefully not goat skins because I don't know where to get those. What God is after is the fruit of the Spirit that's living in you. And it's not because that you're going to work really hard and you're going to make it happen. It's because we're going to submit ourselves to God and say, God, transform me, transform my heart that is pleasing and holy in your sight. That is our contribution. The second question I have for you is, how will we move past just the empty words of saying we will do it? How many of you have ever committed to something with great intentions and then you realize this is terrible or this is hard and decide I'm out? part of the human experience. God is calling us past saying, that sounds great. I want to be covered by the blood of Jesus. You can have that at any point. You can have that. That is your gift from God. But
but God also calls us beyond that into a process where we are transformed, and we're transformed by submitting to the disciplines that God has laid out. That is how we move beyond just saying, my intent is to follow that because it sounds really good, and instead saying, every day, I will come back to the disciplines that God has laid out. Bible reading, prayer, fasting, confessing your sins to God and to others, coming together for worship, eating meals together. These are the things that God has gifted us to begin to contribute to the temple, which is us. What will you contribute, and how will you begin to submit yourself to the discipline it, make, it takes to move past just a good intention to actually being part of what God has for you? Would you uh, stand with me as we wrap up? One of the things we often do at Bridge is, um, it's not weird or strange, it's just kind of a physical representation of, God, whatever you have for us, I want to receive it. And so if you're, you're comfortable, I would invite you just to put your hands out nice and open, just saying, God, I, I can receive things when I'm not holding on tightly. And I just want to pray these words over you. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Because God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. God, would you remind us daily of our absolute need for your absolute grace? It is only by what you have done that we are seen as blameless and righteous in your sight. God, would you remind us to pursue discipline, but never to pursue striving, pretending that somehow we can earn your love or your respect. You have already given it to us if we'll just accept it. So God, we walk out of here as people who want to bring light into a dark world. We ask that you would shape us, you would transform us, you would put people in our lives, situations for us to grow, that we would begin to look more and more like Jesus every day. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming.
In the dead of night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. Though the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this heart, I will praise you. Love is one. 